I just pray for the people that are being baptized this morning, that they get an awakening with your spirit, Lord, and that we just feel you so present. And I just pray you speak through Brian this morning. And Lord, we're just so grateful for just your calling on our lives. And I pray that we can just be so intimate with you this week and just know that you love us and you accept us just how we are. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Is this on? Good morning, everyone. If this is your first time, just raise your hand. We want to recognize you and say good morning. Just a couple this morning. That's good. All right. Three or four. Hello. Good morning. Glad you are here. We just, we just listened to uh, Chris read one of the most dramatic conversion stories in the Bible. And we are right in the middle of just a very short three-week series looking at vintage Christianity and asking the question about where did this power come from? Where did this dynamic force come from that started a world, a worldwide, world-growing religion we call Christianity? This movement began with a small group of people, and now is growing throughout the world. And so looking at that, and so the source, we've said last week, and we'll look at it again this week with a different angle, the source of that power is personal conversion, that people have a personal encounter with a living God, not a personal encounter with another human being or um, joining some group or some club, but a personal encounter with a living God. And this morning, we're looking at the conversion of a moral man. Last week, we looked at the conversion of an African Early on in the church, Acts chapter 8, we see the conversion of the Ethiopian and how that shaped and and altered the church. This morning, we're looking at how a man who had committed his life to morality, to following God, to destroying this new movement called the way, called Christianity, and how a radical encounter with God changed his life forever. And so we'll look at that, and I will be... My commitment this morning, and my hope, is that, um, that everyone will stay. I know you might be tempted to, to go home, but I promise I won't be really long this morning. Niles is going to come up and share his testimony. And my hope is that we will all do the three-minute walk, literally three minutes probably, to right across the street to Zuma Beach. We are legal this morning. We follow the rules, and we can baptize people in the ocean. Um, we have our permit. So it... I would just hope that we can do that as a church family, and, um, and you'll be out of here hopefully kind of about your regular time. So if you have your Bible, if you have your handout, grab that, and we will look at, this, this morning's passage is about how a really good person, a really good person came to know Jesus. And just from the very beginning, we learn that all people, we'll learn three things this morning, hopefully if I have time, three things this morning. Number one, we learned from the very beginning that all people need Jesus. It's necessary for all people. You You might be one of those people here this morning where you've just been a really good person your whole life and a obedient, sweet, nice, really good person, followed all the rules, done the right things. Kind of like my wife, just a really nice, sweet person who, if the teacher in school said, do this, she would do it and get an A, and I'd say, why, and, and fight and get a C. 
So hopefully you uh, find someone that matches like my wife and I do. But we all, we all have taken our different routes in life. And the idea, the idea of morality or Christian values really is a legitimate and serious threat to you actually coming into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'll say that one more time. The pursuit of Christian values, the the pursuit of moral character, actually is a hindrance to you coming into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One way to say that is this. Christianity is not based on the things you do, but based on the things that God has done for you. And that is an important distinction that we need to make early on, and that was something that Paul did not yet understand. Paul, and I won't get into this in in very much depth right now, but most of us know, or some of us know, that Paul was a, a trained Old Testament scholar, had amazing knowledge of the Old Testament, worked very hard at studying the Old Testament, but he had a misunderstanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. Another way to say this is this. Christianity is about receiving, not achieving. Christianity is receiving, not achieving. Paul had spent his whole life achieving, 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 working hard and diligent to know God. But something was missing in his life. So this morning... If you are, you might be like Paul this morning. Paul had no intent, no desire to be a Christian. In fact, the opposite was true. His desire was to end Christianity, to put it to an end. But it is worth it. So if you are here this morning and you are not a seeker and you're very happy and content with your own life, it is worth it for you to at least look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And the reason is, is because he said something really amazing. He said in the book of Philippians that no matter the circumstances of life, my ups, my downs, happy days, bad days, no matter, no matter the detailed circumstances of my life, I am content in Christ. That there is a steadiness, there is a calmness to my life that comes only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a Christian this morning and you're just thinking through it or you're not even really that interested in it, it should, it should at least encourage you to think about a man who had a life like that. Because that is a foreign concept. We are often dominated by anxiety and stress and worry. And this man could say, no matter what, I am content in Christ. If you are a Christian this morning and, and you see this passage as kind of interesting but not that all significant to you, It's to your benefit to ask the question, are you living a life like Paul? What's preventing you from living a life like Paul, if you are a believer this morning? He was committed. He was committing to spreading the gospel. And just to remind you, I know some of you know this, but he had another profession. He was a tent maker. He was bivocational. And so as all of us, whether you're in school, work, you have a life. But Paul integrated his relationship with Christ into all of who he was. And so, if you are a believer this morning, there is much we can look at to help us understand 
how Jesus wants us to live. So number one, conversion is necessary for all people. The story begins with Paul, and if you just even turn the page back, it starts, it starts this, this persecution starts in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen gives this sermon that totally alters and changes Paul's perception of who God was. And so there, uh, right after that, Stephen is stoned. Acts chapter 8, the very beginning part, is all about Saul ravaging the church, putting people in prison, men and women. Acts chapter 9 continues then in verse 1, not happy with the damage he had done. Verse 1 says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the Lord, went to the high priest, got their permission to hunt down people who belonged to Jesus. Paul was a passionate, moral, ethical, righteous man. His problem was he was trusting in that. He was trusting in his morality, in his good behavior. And so he needed a fresh understanding of who God was. So number one, Christianity is based on the power of personal conversion, and it's necessary for all people, even the most moral people, even the people who think they are achieving and cleaning themselves up, need Jesus. They need a fresh understanding of that. So number two, we see that conversion to Christianity requires personal vulnerability before it can heal personal vulnerability. Here's where we see this. He's on the road. Verse 4 says this. Excuse me, verse 3. Now he went on his way and approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? A dramatic story that blinds Paul throws him to the ground on his knees, on his face before God in a powerful way that breaks him. The problem or the breaking point of this story is this part right here where Paul's understanding of who God was was totally shattered. He had created a, a God who fit his world view created an understanding, in a paradigm of thought of who God was. And this is important just for a second to think about this. If, if I can keep my balance. If, if your understanding of God is set on your own creation, or if God is the product of your own thinking, you'll only create minor changes in your life you'll be able to do little minor adjustments, minor tweaks, but you will never have the power of authentic vintage Christianity because authentic vintage Christianity, God is not based on the product of your own thinking, but on the God of the Bible. And that's what it took. It took a breakthrough. We all have our perceptions of who God is. And if we hold those above the authority and the understanding of God's word, we corrupt Christianity. We make it uh, an inauthentic religion of what it truly is not. Christianity requires 
personal vulnerability before it can heal. Paul is broken because his understanding of who God was was totally altered. If you have, a, if you have your Bible, I want to turn to one verse really quick and try to just illustrate this one more time. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. This is one of those verses that you need to underline. Uh, excuse me, 1 John 3, 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. It says this, For whenever our heart condemns us, greater is God than our heart, and he knows everything. Think about this for a second. Honestly, one of the biggest struggles that, that I know that people have of Christians is letting go of their past, of living under condemnation, of forever living in this pattern of guilt because you don't feel like you're doing enough. Doing enough. And there's an instability, there's an insecurity, there's a fear in your life. If you're living your life based on your perception of who God is, you will forever be an insecure fearful, discouraged Christian. You have to let the God of the Bible speak to let the God of the Bible speak to you. And this is exactly what the verse says. I'll read it one more time. For whenever our heart condemns us, whenever, listen, every day those thoughts go into our minds of self-condemnation, of you're not adequate, you're you're a failure, you're not doing things right. You're a screw up in the Christian life. And if you limit yourself And if you're not deepening your understanding of who God is, that will be the pattern of your life. God says this, or John says this, God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your heart. God is greater than your own understanding of who God is. That's why in in Exodus, I believe chapter 33, um, no, it's not 33, but it doesn't matter. But in Exodus, when Paul, uh, excuse me, when Moses is talking, and he says, who, who, who should I say sent me? And he says, it's the, tell him the I am. The I am has sent me. And so when we just limit our understanding of who God is and don't base it on the word of God, you will get stuck in your life. You need all of who God is. And that was the breakthrough. The whole paradigm, Paul's whole paradigm, his whole way of thinking was totally blown up and destroyed at this encounter with God. We learn some amazing things about God, and I'll be brief here in this passage, but we learn, first and foremost, that God is not the God of a Hallmark card. That He is not just limited to the gentle, sweet, kind old man perception that some people might have, but He is a force a power, an attitude-altering, worldview-altering God. The type of God that can bring you to your knees. That totally changes this man, Paul. And here's the question Paul says, verse 5, and Paul says, Who are you, Lord? The question is not what do I do, it's who is this Who is this being? A proud, self-righteous man thrown down to his knees asking, Who are you, Lord? 
And the light responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so a dramatic change goes on in the life of Paul from this point on because his understanding of who God was dramatically changed. The last part, the last thing we'll look at this morning is the result or what what conversion produces in your life. So we'll just look at the effects, just quickly look at the effects of this conversion of Paul. Verse, uh, verse 17 says this, skipping down. So Paul has, has left and he, he moves on to uh, Damascus. Verse 17 says this, So Ananias departed and entered the house where Paul was, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and was taken food and strengthened. The next verse says, and the disciples, and, and, excuse me, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. When, when your understanding of Jesus, who Jesus Christ is, and when it's altered away from morality, a softness happens in your heart. There is a, a heart change, an attitude change that it warms to the things of Christ. I'm going I'm to just tell you just a super short story. And, and, um, and the reason why I tell it to you is that often our hearts and our attitudes go right towards self-righteousness, go right towards things like Paul does. And I've been a Christian for a long time now, and part of this understanding of what a conversion experience produces in your life is that it produces solidarity between you and Jesus and you and other believers. But as Paul says throughout his epistles, it's not just a one-time experience. There is the, definitely the concept in the Bible of that we are working out our salvation, that we are renewing our minds in our understanding of who Jesus is. Um, Last night, a few friends were over, and, and, and um, Coulter, where's Coulter? Somewhere? Maybe something. There he is in the back. Uh, uh, he was, spent the night with us last night and hanging out, and he told me that there was someone out in our front yard, and I was kind of like, well, no, probably not, or just kind of, I'm like, okay, that's, that's not normal, okay? And I thought he meant like out in the street, and he's like, no, in the front yard. And, and so finally, I, after him being clear with me, I said, okay, I'm going to go out and look. Um, and so I went, I got my flashlight and looked around, and I saw nothing, and then I kind of raised it up higher, and I saw a, a head, a human head, <laughs> um, <laughs> behind my little, my old canopy from my truck, and I was kind of, I was like, okay, get up, and it, honestly, it was like a flashback to me, like when I was 15, like, you know, playing some game with some neighbors, so I was like, get up, and he wouldn't get up, and so the tone of my voice began to change a little bit, and my, as soon as he wouldn't do what I said, I'm telling you, instantly, and, I, and honestly, I wasn't doing anything wrong, I don't think, because it was you know, a strange guy, I didn't know who he was or anything, but my point of telling you is, is that in my mind and in my heart, I was going towards 
self-righteous condemnation, self-righteous. Who, who are you? And I'm, like, maybe a better way to say it, I'm puffing my chest up. Uh, the aggression kind of thing is starting to happen. And then finally, you know, I yelled again, I, or my voice, I said, stand up. And, and the guy stood up, and he was a homeless guy that I know from the neighborhood. And, and my point of telling this to you is that, honestly, it was like God teaching me in this little experience, the guy's a friend of mine, this little experience of how quickly, as Christians, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, that's great, so have I, how quickly we can be judgmental, how quickly we can be critical, even without verbalizing it. I'm just telling you about thoughts I had in my mind. The conversion of Paul is a dramatic conversion. And I know some of you might be thinking, hey, if I had a conversion like this, I'd follow Jesus too, right? You're walking to school and some bright light comes out of the, out of, you know, the darkness and it blinds you and, and just this crazy experience. That sounds good. We all like to think of ourselves as rational people. In fact, you'd probably be insulted if I called you irrational. But let me force you to think for a second that we are more than just rational people. There are examples after examples after examples in the Bible of people who are witnesses to dramatic miracles and rejected Christ. The most obvious is Judas. Best friend, pal of Jesus, a witness to all of these dramatic miracles and all of these phenomenal, just faith-strengthening things. And, and he betrayed him for some silver. So this story teaches us that an encounter with God is available to all people. It's through his word. What we need is a willingness to allow God to shape our paradigm of who he says he is instead of your own thoughts dominating who God is. And the, pro- the, the result of that, or the, the product of that, is this whole new lifestyle. And there's this really interesting thing between Ananias and Paul. And it's one word, verse 17. He said, laying his hands on him, he says, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. An enemy a self-righteous, critical person, violent person, and after this encounter with God, a total life change, a total life turnaround, where God, where Saul becomes Paul and is recognized as a brother. And there are many places throughout this story, and I'm finished with this. The disciples, after some fear and trepidation, do invite him in, but there is this solidarity between them. That is the result of a sincere and honest encounter with God. The last thing I'm going to show you where I see that is back up to verse 4 when Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The logical question would be, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? Why why are you persecuting my followers? He doesn't say that because Jesus identifies himself with his followers. The last thing I want to say just about that, just as a word of trying to encourage us this morning, is that concept, if, any of, if anyone's here is struggling this morning, you need to know 
the Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself with you in that way. That he views solidarity with you. And that his life of suffering, his life of suffering was to identify with you. And my hope is that through this story of this dramatic conversion, that you would allow the Bible to shape your understanding of who Jesus is. To put aside your understanding of what you think God is like and to say this, God is, God is not a tame God. He wants to break into your life in a meaningful and sincere way. That's honestly what baptism is about. Baptism is about an outward sign of an internal transformation. Niles is going to come up here and share a few minutes of his testimony. And then here's the thing. Here's what I need. We're just going to, like, honestly, just, like, stand up and, like, quickly march on over there. If we stand up and, like, chit-chat forever, then this will never happen. Okay? So we got to just... And then we need, like, lots of really, like, nice people to watch out for the little children. All right? Because we got lots of kids. We're going to walk as a mass and walk over there quickly. But number one thing is safety. So... I need help with that. I've talked to a few people. But before we do that, Niles, my brother, come on up and share for just a couple minutes. Hello? How's everyone doing? I'm Niles. Um, So... Last week, everyone was supposed to get baptized, and I was actually excited that it got canceled because it gave me the opportunity um, to Facebook message Brian and ask to be baptized myself. Um, I thought about it all week. Like, after the Facebook message, it was really easy. It was just like, hey, can I be baptized? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, great. So I'm doing it. But as, I, as the week went on, I really thought about it and, like, kind of the decision I'm making. And um, I want to get baptized because it's a public proclamation of my faith and of my, like, um, my love for Jesus, and which is something that I've never actually even spoke about in public. Um, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven years old. I had a lot of family issues. My parents were divorced, and I was at seven. I was like the dispute settler between them. Um, there was a lot of anger that went on, and um, I went to Catholic school, and I was baptized in the Catholic Church when I was so little. And I remember like knowing who Jesus was as a, as a young kid, and thinking like when I was seven, like, gosh, I really need Jesus to like do this. Like I can't do this by myself. So when I was seven is when I felt most called by God to, um, to seek him and to like seek his wisdom. And it was, it was a cool experience because my, I ended up being like taken to San Francisco by my mother and, um, a lot more family issues came up, but I mean, God answered prayers when I was that young and, um, ended up like sending me back to Kansas city where I was from. And, um, growing up with my dad who, um, who, although was a Christian, like, like, or although was like, I don't know how to describe it. He was he was raised in a Christian family. I really wasn't. He um he believed in God but had his own personal struggles and wasn't really like the God kind of mentor I was seeking. So throughout middle school and high school I was kind of a, a train wreck. I uh was a wild kid. I liked partying and running around in high school and I enjoyed the very fleeting pleasures that this world has to offer. Um and I had a lot of fun, but the whole time I was just really really confused because I felt like there was so much more to life than like what I was experiencing at age 17 and um at that point I wanted to be like a professional soccer player and I wanted to do all this cool stuff but I was more concerned with like popularity and like who I was and what parties I was going to than with anything else um and God really did a lot of things in my life through all that bad he did a lot of good 
um, when I was a sophomore, I had, I had gotten like a 2-1 GPA my freshman year at this all-guys private school. Um, got really into like drinking and partying and ended up having to leave the school because I had torn my hamstring. And the only reason I was there was to play soccer. And um, I was devastated because I, I, I went to church every Sunday and all, all my friends on the soccer team who didn't go to church at all um, were like, you know, not getting injured and making varsity and all this stuff. And I was really mad because I was like, I was like, this God guy, he's not, he doesn't know what he's talking about because here I'm going to church and I'm the one getting injured here. So um, at, at 16, I was really confused and I didn't really like the idea of um, giving myself up for, for someone else, for something else. Um, but then that same year, a family friend of mine um, kind of knew I was in a rough spot and she's not a Christian. She's just kind of this um, a, a well-off, friendly person, and she came up and told me in person that um, if I got my act together, started getting good grades, and cleaned up, that she would pay for any college that I got into. So that was, like, huge for me, and my eyes kind of went, like, whoa, like, I can get out of the Midwest, and I can go wherever I want and be whoever I want to be. So then, um, I didn't really, like, pray about this at all, but I kind of started actively pursuing, like, all right, so I'm going to start, like, trying in school. I'm going to start, like, not doing bad things before school or after, I'm going to, like, start trying to clean up, and, um, <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> and, um, so then, and it was really hard, because, like, I'm, like, freshman year, I had, like, I, I cheated in school, I, like, did things, like, I didn't care, I didn't study, so then I was, like, all right, like, I need to straighten myself out here, and by the time I was a senior, I had started going to church a little more and, like, kind of reading the Bible by myself, and I was, like, I need to go to a school that kind of fosters like Christianity, not some school that I'm just going to like turn into some degenerate at. I need to like, I need to like envelop myself in people that are going to build me up rather than just take me down. Cause like if I went to some big party school, I would have been taken down immediately. So I went to Pepperdine and I hated it for the first month. I thought it was awful. I hated NSO. I thought everyone was on more drugs than I had done in the beginning. Like everyone's running around screaming and I'm sitting here like wide eyed, like this was the worst decision I've ever made. But um, but after a while, after a while, I, like, kind of realized, like, this place is weird, but this place is, like, there's something different about it, and there's something really cool. So then I kind of started hanging out with, like, Christians, which I'd never met, like, a cool Christian. Like, the Christians that went from Kansas City are, like, weird, like, homeschooled kids that, like, I never wanted to hang out with at all. And not, not, not that, like, homeschooling's bad. Like, I want, I want to have my kids be homeschooled in the future because I think it's a lot better. Yeah, right. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, homeschooling is the way to go. But then <laughs> but then I didn't think that. I didn't think that then at all. I, I was really anti-homeschooling then because all the homeschool kids I knew were just not that cool. And then I was really concerned about being cool. Like that was all I wanted to be was like some cool kid that like everyone liked. So then, so Pepperdine was really cool the first couple years. And I remember like I kind of had a God moment. I was in Argentina and I was like walking through Patagonia like in a forest like by myself. And I, like, had a Bible in my hand because I was, like, oh, I need to start reading this. I need to start journaling and, like, writing down, like, my thoughts and my questions. And as I'm walking through Patagonia, I totally had this God moment of just, like, wow, like, this is so peaceful. Like, it was, like, other than being seven years old that time when I asked Jesus in my heart, like, that was the closest I ever felt to God. And I knew it was real. And I knew that I needed to continue actively pursuing that relationship. Um, so then um, I just kind of slowly but surely kept kept pursuing that. When I got back from Argentina, I found The Gathering, which was, which was like, after Pepperdine, like, the next blessing of, in my life. Because, like, the couple, first couple years of Pepperdine, I went to Mosaic and Reality and all these churches, and I liked them, and they were good, and I felt, like, emotionally stirred, but there was no community aspect to it, and I didn't really feel like um, 
I could relate to them as much. I don't really like big cities, so I didn't like going into LA. And finding the gathering was a huge blessing. And um, last year they were they they did a baptism, and I was really upset because I had to leave for summer um, work, so I couldn't get baptized. And I knew there's something I needed to do because um, since actively pursuing my faith, I haven't been baptized. Like I was baptized when I was six months old in the Catholic Church, and and like that was it. And like 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 Adam said last week, it's like he, he wasn't much of a talker then, and I wasn't either. So I can't really I don't remember it at all. And it, and it wasn't like a conscious decision. It wasn't like I was, you know, like publicly proclaiming my faith like I am now. So um, this week I thought a lot about it, and I read the book of Daniel just because I thought that he was a pretty cool guy who just like really stuck it to the world, and I thought that was awesome, because that's something that we all need to try to do, um, and yeah, and, and, and especially living now, and like, me and Joel live in Santa Monica, and we both are in industries that are like, very like, nightlife, and party oriented, and it's just super nice to have, like, this church, and like, the Bible, and like, God to kind of keep me centered, and yeah, I just thought it was time to get baptized, so, yeah. <laughs>